Welcome to The Stripe Show. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of The Stripe Show podcast. It is exciting to bring The Stripe Show back. Many of you who have been following me at Travis Fulton Golf on Instagram, you know I used to have a show called The Stripe Show with 18 birdies on their Facebook platform. But after a couple years of recalculating and redefining, it's back. The Stripe Show in the form of a podcast where my plan is to bring to you terrific interviews with top coaches, players, and personalities in the TV social media world. So without further ado, let's get to the first episode of The Stripe Show. Jamie Mulligan. Perhaps you've heard of that name. If you haven't, well, that's okay with Jamie. A soft-spoken man from California. I met Jamie about six years ago at the Players' Championship at TPC Sawgrass. It didn't take me long to realize that Jamie's philosophy was very much a holistic approach because that's where we are in today's game. We've transitioned from an instructor to a coach, and no one epitomizes that more than Jamie Mulligan. His holistic approach, he looks at it as a wheel. Every spoke in the wheel needs to be moving in the right direction. Each one of these spokes have never been aligned better for his top student, the number six ranked player in the world, Patrick Cantlay. The two-time winner on the PGA Tour is poised to have a big 2020 season. You can't find a weakness in Patrick Cantlay's game or Patrick Cantlay's spokes. Each spoke carefully aligned, carefully trained, and carefully overseen by his coach, Jamie Mulligan. I highly encourage you to listen to this conversation all the way to the end as we break down each spoke, full swing, short game, putting, equipment, fitness, mental, and even a little bit about slow play, which Patrick can struggle with from time to time. A great conversation with Jamie Mulligan on coaching the number six ranked player in the world, Patrick Cantlay. So I'm pleased to be joined now here on the Stripe Show with Jamie Mulligan. Jamie, how you doing, my friend? Travis, I'm well. Thanks a lot. Appreciate having uh, me on. It's nice to speak with you. Well, first off, I want to uh, congratulate you on all your success. I know you're, uh, you're having a great deal of success on the PGA Tour, but also the amateur level. And I know you kind of like to kind of ride underneath the radar, but uh, I think one of your students uh, by the name of Patrick Cantlay, you guys are going to be soon here uh, out front and center week in and week out. Yeah, he's played lovely. I'm super proud of him. You know, we started coaching him when he was seven. And we're the CEO of this lovely country club in Long Beach, California called Virginia Country Club. And I started there as an assistant and then came back in 2000 to do my present job. And um, I used to play with Patrick's grandfather. So uh, our history with the family goes a long ways back. And Patrick is, a, you know, now we have another group of young kids. And so this is about the, Patrick's about the third generation of PGA Tour players that we've taught. And we've got more on the go. So he's come out of that culture and uh, done some really good things. And it's been a fun ride so far with uh, more to come. Yeah, I want to get into that culture. And I really want to talk about the sixth ranked player in the world currently right now, who is Patrick 
Cantlay, two-time winner uh, on the PGA Tour, co- of course, won the, the Shriners Hospital for Children Open back in 2017, a place that he loves. 2019 here, just a handful of months back, uh, he won the Memorial Tournament. And I'm sure as you guys wrap up every season, you, you talk about uh, the positives, you talk about the opportunities, but I would have to think after this last season uh, with Patrick, there was a whole lot of positives for you guys to break down. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with a longtime student like that and the same thing with that culture is we get everybody kind of on this wheel program, whether they've seen it in writing or something that we do, where they have their spokes that uh, our job is to keep the spokes in line and their job is to know what the spokes are. And Patrick's done a really good job of identifying those a long, long time ago and then just continuing to make them better and better and better and better. And, you know, he... I call it all in and he calls it in the pool and meaning for 24 seven a day, he's working what he can do to be the best that he can be. And I think in our mentality, maybe we're not thinking so much about the rest of the world and beating everybody else, but being the best he can be. And uh, he's become really, really complete. He knows, uh, he knows what he's doing from the minute he wakes up to the minute that he goes to sleep. And he's a pleasure to teach as far as the physicalities of the game. And he's beyond his years as far as mindset goes and has been for a long, long time for many different reasons. So it's been a pleasure to teach. You know, we're now at the fine tuning, you know, people use that word great too much, but we're using fine tuned great in a lot of different areas, you know. Yeah, you look at the season, I mean, he's really starting to to benefit from all this hard work. You know, 21 events last year, he had the one win there at Jack's Place, two seconds, two thirds, nine top tens. And for me, the stat that really stands out, 17 top 25s. I mean, that's 17 top 25s out of 21 events. You know, I think there's, in, in today's game, it's like hit it long, go find if you missed a cut, we'll just go play for a bunch of money next week. You don't have to be consistent to make a lot of money on the PGA Tour. But when I look at Patrick Cantlay and that kind of season, this is a very, very consistent player. Where's that come from? Uh, like I said, it's a body of work for a long, long time. You know, we built this pyramid that had big blocks in the foundation early and they've continued to, it's been very, very sturdy. And, you know, he's, he, he basically has an idea of what he's doing in every area. I didn't know that uh, statistic about the 17 top 25s. That's pretty cool and pretty yeah. interesting. Um, what I did here is that in the statistical categories, he is in the top 20 of 50 statistical categories. And yeah. I kind of always likened it to looking at him like being, you know, the best NFL quarterback and meaning you got to do everything. Then you got to run, you got to throw, you got to think. You got to have poise. You got to be healthy. You got to be a leader. You got to be, you know, your own cheerleader. You got to be able to be coached. And he does a really good job in all those areas. He's a pleasure to work with. There's never a day that we've worked together as far back as I can remember where he's not on point and he's not focused and he's not ready to get the most out of the time that we're together. And more importantly, when he's by himself, he's doing the exact same thing, which if whether I'm talking to a caddy or caddy or the physio or somebody that's there with them that week, they're like, yeah, he's on point. He's on point. So yeah. we're deriving a lot of the benefits of it. And it's fun. It, it's uh, it's kind of the dream scenario for what you would want in a player coach relationship. And certainly, certainly watching a player play like that. Well, you look at him statistically, you know, last year, I mean, usually you're going to find a weakness in most PGA Tour players. Strokes gain off the tee last year, he's 18th. Strokes gain approach, he's 10th. Strokes gain around the green, he's 6th. Strokes gain putting, he's 26th. You add that up, he's 2nd. 
in strokes mm-hmm. gained total. I mean, that's a very consistent line of stats that really show no weakness. I want to start digging into these a little bit. And I want to, I want to start with the driver. And when I watch Patrick play, um, in, in some ways, and this is just my perspective as a fan, as an analyst looking, you know, he, he's kind of a cut from the modern player. He, he's, he's very long. I mean, he's, he's over 300 yards consistently. Last year, he was in the top 25 in distance. Um, well under 60% fairways, about 160th. The stats say, you know, Cantlay's kind of that modern player. Bomb it, doesn't matter where it goes. Go find it if it's in the fairway, if it's in the rough. It doesn't matter. We'll score from there. How do you look at that kind of stat with a driver? What kind of driver is Patrick Cantley, and maybe what kind of driver are you guys trying to make him to be at this point? Well, it's interesting talking about those earlier, those generations of tour players. You can throw out what happened in the John Cook and Paul Guidos era out the window yeah. because that doesn't happen anymore. And even in the John Mallinger and John Merrick window, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. You're not seeing the controller anymore. So. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing for a living, the accuracy in the fairway is probably the least amount of thing, but there's a lot to read into that one, you know. Patrick's almost like an old-school driver. He's got a bunch of speed when he wants it. Mm. He's got a really good stock one. He's got a cutter when he wants it. He's got a draw when he wants it. He's got a, a little chip shot that he can hit when he wants it. And between him and his caddy, Matt Minister, they're really good at analyzing a golf ball and figuring out what the wind's doing and what the hole's doing and where they can drive the ball so they can play the next one with the most effective chance. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fairway, you know, I kind of look at that that uh, accuracy stat more as an outlier than anything. And um, obviously with second and scoring average, we're not worrying about that or what you said in all those other statistics. We're happy about the way that he drives it. Yeah, it just doesn't matter anymore, does it? I mean, the, these guys, I mean, he's, he's driving it straight enough, right? And he, he, he's got these, these shots, which I find very interesting. And I want to dig into this a little bit because I want to get into the technique here just a little bit, Jamie. Um, you know, with Patrick, he, he, he's got a very simple swing. I mean, it's, it's up and down the plane line. You're not seeing anything unusual with the shaft or the face. Obviously, the body um, is very healthy, creates a lot of speed, great support at the bottom. When you say the, when you say the stock and he can, he can kind of go after a little bit more speed from the stock, where, where does that come from? Well, I think he uses his body and he uses the club position. I've always looked at the, the body as kind of three different things, what you do with your upper body, your pivot, what you do with your lower body, your support and your energy system, and what you do with your arms and hands as far as shaping and how the, the club goes and then how they sequence together. And he does a beautiful job of knowing where his golf club is. It's really relatively square to the plane line all the way through the swing. And he makes a, if you look him at an impact, it's funny, we built him on a posture and a backswing swing, but if you look at him at impact, the way the club comes back in tubes and stays right there and the face is so square and his right hand is so docile and the way he's blown his lower body out of the way in order to create power, but not getting in front of the shop and the way his upper body's staying tension free so the club can swing to this relaxed, comfortable posture, whether he's hitting it as hard as he can or as soft as he can. It's impressive, and there's people that are doing a lot of those elements that we just listed, Mm -hmm. but not all in one combined package too much. So we're super proud of the way that he looks in those areas. Talk about this little cutter. What what changes with the cutter? Just the shaft gets a little lower at impact, Travis, you know? I mean, we... You know, when he was a kid, he, like, 12, 13, and 14, he had model golf swing, 
And then like every kid that starts to be very good and playing at a national level, they go out and play with people that are hitting at 50 or 60 yards by him. <laughs> I remember he played with Peter Uline in the amateur when he was 17 and he was literally hitting it by Patrick 40 or 50 yards. Mm. So then we strengthened grip a little bit and close club face a little bit and swing inside out. And he hit a slinger knowing that we would also go back and modify it into, you know, when he got to be a bigger, stronger athlete um, into a more orthodox swing where he could cut it. So we basically cut the ball for a couple of years in our warmups on tour, knowing that he never was going to lose his draw shot, but we wanted to diversify him. And now he has both pitches and um, the net net of it is he has a shot that goes really super straight where, he, you know, the club's square for a really, really long time. And I think that his smash factor number has been number one for at least the two years previous. And I wouldn't be surprised this last year as well. I haven't checked that. So yeah, he's hitting me in. He's hitting into the middle of the club as well. Yeah, he, he, he's always way up there in, in the smash factor. And, and, of course, smash factor for our listeners is the relationship between the club head speed and the ball speed. And with the driver, you want it to be, you know, 1.5 in that area. And, and Patrick is certainly one of those guys that's finding the center of the face very, very consistently. I want to go from the driver now. I want to go to the other end of the spectrum here and, and talk about the putting. In 2018, strokes gained putting, he was 153rd. Mm-hmm. 2019, he's 26th. That's a huge improvement. You got to give us some some insight on where that improvement came from. Well, I mean, this is it's not our style to be candid, uh, or it's our style to be candid but not presumptuous. Um, and this might sound like that, but he's the best putter I've ever seen and certainly mm-hmm. the best putter I've ever worked with. And, you know, the... I think the first couple of years on tour, you're learning to read greens and you're learning to putt when it matters all the time. And you're learning to, you know, putt under, under different speeds. And I think for the first couple of years, there was a little bit of a learning curve, but the beauty of that is his stroke never changed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there was some time in the middle of the time last year, we talked to a bunch of people that were helpful. You know, we've done a bunch of work with Scotty and Paul down there at the, at the studio, but um we started to, to go back and he started to putt like he was, you know, 14, 15 or 16 years old. All of Brad Faxon has had some input as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's less mechanical now and it's more groovy and it's this beautiful, flowy putting stroke. And um, I think he's just he's known forever that he could putt great. And uh, this year, I think we got to see the benefits of that got derived more. And then. Uh, probably one thing in the first couple of years he probably hit it he hit it so nicely had so many chances maybe he wasn't quite ready for that but now yeah. i think he's kind of now he's kind of th- th- those are kind of morphed together which is a nice thing you know it's interesting just in in the first part here of this podcast listening to you talk about patrick you know one of the things that's standing out for me and and not knowing Pat- patrick is he seems like a very patient individual and and that's going to bode very well for him in the longevity of, of this sport, especially at professional level, as you know better uh, than I do. Because not every player is going to have that kind of patience, right? When they look at their putting at the end of the year and they're like, gosh, you know, I got to really improve here. But just to kind of stay the course, not really tinker and change too much, try to free it up a little bit, start building some momentum. And all of a sudden, here you are, one of the best putters in the world. Yeah, I mean, well stated and, and, and astute from you to pick up on that. But I mean, I think if you watch him play and the watch he goes away about it, or if you're around what's going on in our in our teaching culture, you know, 
um, we're playing an unemotional game played by emotional people, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, emotions a lot come from want and desire and, you know, necessity. And he, I think he's done a really good job of understanding and being practical about that. So he's probably less emotional than most grading on the curve playing against tour players and definitely a lot more than the average guy walking down the street. It always cracks me up when we're at a tournament and he makes a birdie and I'm there. I think he's the least emotional one that's out there and I'm probably the second emotional and everybody else is clapping and cheering. He kind of comes off or I come off like we're a flatliner. It's not like we're not happy that we made the putt, but um, it's really an unemotional game, you know, and everybody's, that doesn't mean you can't get excited. That doesn't mean I don't love uh, Tiger's, you know, fist bump, but I think Patrick goes about it the way that works for Patrick really, really well. And we've tried to develop that for a long, long time in everything, not only with what he does with golf, but everything that he does in his life. So he, so Patrick, well, let's go there now. Cause he's like, like you said, stone face is a good word. He, you know, there's not a lot of smiles. He's, he's very even killed. And, and that's really what we see, you know, of course, what I would say for the majority of PGA tour players, we, we do have, of course, the tiger and the Rory, they're going to show you some emotion, but, you know, Patrick kind of falls in line with, I think, the majority, the Brooks Kepka, the Dustin Johnson. They're not going to show you a whole lot, but that's how he is, if I'm hearing you right, off the golf course as well. And just as a follow-up to that, I know when he won the Memorial, you know, Jack told him, look, you should smile more. I mean, how did that land for Patrick when, when someone like Jack Nicholas says that to him? Well, by the way, Jack's been unbelievable with him, you know, and I mean, the little nuggets that we get in our game, you know, it's like going back to with John Cook with Ken Venturi mentoring him and Hogan mentoring Venturi and that gold that we received, you know. Mm -hmm. So then to have, you know, Patrick developed a relationship with relationship with Jack when he won the Nicholas Award and, uh, you know, he's practicing at Bears Club and Jack has just been really kind to him. And I think he likes Patrick and Patrick likes him and they have, you know, these nice conversations. And so um when jack says something i'm sure patrick listened and trust me the the serious look on patrick's face he's got an amazing sense of humor and he's laughing and giggling about a lot of things uh when he's competing that's what he looks like that's his face you know mm -hmm. if you watch tom brady play football that's what he looks like if you watch Derek jeter play baseball that's what he looked like you know um if you watch kobe play basketball that's what he looked like and not that Patrick's at that superstar level, but I don't think there's anything wrong that, with that. And, um, you know, when he when he really gets excited, like he made a big putt this year at Augusta on 15 to either take the lead or get close to the lead for Eagle. And, you know, there was a little bit more demonstrative foot, uh, fist pump. So obviously in the right spots, you're going to see him do that. But I like the fact that they're even keel. I've seen a lot of people play this themselves out of this game because they're way too emotional in the way that mm -hmm. they go about it. Yep. All right, let's go true or false here for a second. We're going to mix it up here. I'm going to go three quick questions here. True or false, I want you to kind of take us out on tour here for, for a moment where you've spent so many years uh, around this game, around the best players. And the first one about today's game, true or false, now listen to this carefully, it's drive for dough, putt for shove. Um, probably false. You still got to roll it. You still got to roll your. You still got to roll your rock. 
I don't know, man. That that uh, that top twenty-five list in 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 driving distance is is off uh, is uh, is very appealing to me. In, in today's yeah, I game. mean, at the end of the way, probably probably the best answer on this I think will make sense sense for your listeners is you know <laughs> when I first started watching NBA basketball, not very many people slam dunk, but everybody slam dunk now, you know. Yeah. Um, so now when you go to the tournament, everybody hits it a long ways. You know, there's some tournaments that we get to like. You know, Luke List and, and that we coach and Patrick, they both top 10 at the PGA this year. When we got to Bethpage, um, I had a really good feeling that we were going to have a really good week there. That golf club fit those guys really mm-hmm. nicely. They're, they love fast greens. They both love big ballparks, you know. They both love kind of curvy dog legs where you got to hit it over the corners and stuff. So, hmm. um, yeah, you got to drive the ball in spots, and it's different. Not every golf course is like Colonial, like the old days. So, a little bit, but you still got to you still got to roll the rock. You still got to roll it, right? You got to you got to make some putts for sure. All right, number two, true or false? If you're not working out in today's game, you're going backwards. Correct. True. Give us a just give us a little little hint of of Patrick's workout. I would imagine that's one of the specs in the culture that you were referring to. Yeah, I mean, when he first came out on tour, he weighed 158 pounds. He weighs 200 pounds, and it looks like he's more fit. You know. Um, and when he wakes up in the morning, he's in a physio program, and uh, then he does the warm up is one of the the least time consuming things that we do before the round, and we don't hit balls after the round very often. And then he goes right back into a workout, and then physio. Wow. And and everybody's like that, you know. And yeah. I'm not going to name the players, but the first time that I played with marquee tour players when I was in my early 20s, when we were on the 17th hole, they asked me if they wanted to play for a scotch on the way in. And they all looked like they had, they all looked like they had drank scotch and I had never had a scotch and, and, and was wondering. And then I took a drink and went, this is what we played for. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it, it, it's changed a lot. You know, yeah, it everybody, has. it's just a way more athletic sport. And that doesn't take anything away from the great players because I might be more influenced than in most of my peers from the old great teachers and old great players. I still love that, but the player is more athletic for sure. Number three, last true or false here. Today's game, too much emphasis on distance, not enough on accuracy with these course setups in general. I know there's different courses, but just overall, too much emphasis on distance. I mean, you almost have to do it based on what we just said, you know, yeah. in the last two, in the last two questions, like, you know, Patrick shot, 22 under par at Medina this year and lost by, you know, three, three shots to JT. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, it wasn't a different Medina, you know, we've now been to Medina for a couple major championships. The players are just so much better. And I think that's what we're forgetting. Yeah. And the players not only better at the PGA tour le- level, you know, the, the LPGA ladies that I coach, they're better. And, you know, we have, four blossomingly college players that are really, really good. You know, mm. we've now coached four world number ones from three different decades. And, you know, they're uh, the world number one now is more complete as an amateur. Uh, that That's a world number one amateur is way more complete now than they used to be. So just the game's better. And it's guys like you and guys like the rest of our peers and guys like the people that are playing it, that's making that. And the player can do everything. Now the player can, hit it they can chip it they can hit out of the rough they can play great out of their bunker you know look at the stats improvement in the last 10 years there's definitely a marketing improvement of all 200 tour players yeah it's it's amazing just the the skill that is involved with all 14 clubs now and just the depth um the depth that we see on the pga tour the corn Ferry tour all the way down now 
um, you know, to the Canadian tour, the Latin American tour. I mean, it's just amazing uh, these numbers that that these guys are shooting on a consistent basis and what it takes to get out there and stay out there. You know, let alone be the number six now ranked player in the world. And it's a different it's a different environment out there. I'm sure you've seen too, Jamie. Just there's so much going on in the PGA Tour event now. Not just Thursday through Sunday, but but Monday through Wednesday. And I know, I know those are those are three important days uh, for coach, player, and preparation. And and I and I want to ask you, as a coach, what what's the biggest challenge for you when you go out on PGA Tour? And you want to get some work done with your man Cantlay. What's what's the biggest challenge you face there? Um, I don't use that word challenge very often, but I would say that the thing that we're trying to optimize the most is freshness. Okay. And I think that's a big thing. I think that was different when I first started doing this. You imagine those days as work days, but you know, now like you know, Luke just played lovely today in Houston. Shot six under the last round. He's going to hop on a plane and go to Korea played well at Korea the last couple of years. I don't need him to go crazy at a golf course that he knows for the next couple of days over there. You know, I need him to put his feet up and rest. He's traveled, you know, halfway around the world to get there. So um, I think that's optimizing. That's big different than we used to do it. You know, Monday's kind of rest day, go out for a casual dinner. Tuesday, you know, see the golf course. If you're playing the pro-am, maybe you only need to see nine holes. I think the the physical part of the system is, so ingrained with the guys that we're working with um, that it's most about getting them rested so they can play on Thursday and nothing against pro-ams because they make the world go around, but we're Mm -hmm. really the only, we're really the only major sport. LeBron's not shooting free throws with uh, (laughs) some guy, some guy out of the seats on Wednesdays before, before a Wednesday night game, you know? So I think getting the players rested so they can go and, and then, being at you know the majors and being at the tour championship for some years now going those players were tired at the end of the year mm-hmm. so i like that word freshness we're also working for recovery and freshness so we can play better yeah it is the season right i mean this used to be somewhat of the of the off season but but not anymore now you got the wraparound season um things fire right back up into the 2019 2020 season three events in for him uh, you mentioned uh, playing in houston he had a t40 at safeway and then uh, i want to talk just briefly here he had the second at the at the shriners hospital the children open place he plays very very well at ppc summerlin and uh, he lost in a playoff of course to kevin knob but really you know had the chance to win their 71st hole the par three um front left pin i believe and i believe he had a nine iron what what happened there as far as that shot had the lead. Um, was he pin seeking? Did he miss hit it? What 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 was the breakdown there on that particular seven first hole in the water? They just got a gust. They missed. They got a gust and it missed the spot. You know, if it doesn't gust, it's probably six eight feet to the left of the hole and stays mm-hmm. right there. And if they, you know, if the ball hit, you know, if the club's a degree open at that spot, it might go, you know, twelve yards to the right. So you're you're pretty narrow there and. They like the club and they like the shot. And, you know, um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, obviously, yeah, you'd like to have that one back. It was interesting the way that plays out. Mr. Venturi said that sometimes tournaments win you, you know. And when Kevin was a young kid from 13 to 16, we coached him. And he's a tough kid. And he hung in there really well. He made a beautiful mm-hmm. putt on 17. And, you know, I, I was – 
more than the nine iron that didn't go on the green on 17. I was blown away by the putt that Patrick hit in regulation that didn't go in on 18 because you got the hill up above him and the city down there and everything's breaking that way. And that thing just hung there. And then they got up there in the first playoff hole and Patrick, you know, buried that putt and yeah. you know, handed it to Kevin. He made that putt and, you know, we didn't get it done. And that one still stings and that one will always sting. But um, the first year at Vegas, I think, First year of Vegas, he won. Last year, he was 20 under and lost. And this year, he was 23 under and, you know, finished second again. So he's had a good run there. Yeah. He's played, played the golf course differently than most people. He's driver on every hole and bashes it down there. And, you know, he's he's super accurate with that driver on that golf course. So I'm proud of him. It was a really nice performance. Two two questions for you to, to give us listeners and myself um, just a – a, a little hope and maybe a smile perhaps how often do you think a pga tour player hits the wrong club in a round of golf that's a good one that's what nobody's ever asked me that question <laughs> there I found, yeah i found yeah. one i had so many questions I was like i gotta ask him one where he's gonna take a deep breath you know i'm a uh, um i'm gonna answer this kind of in a different manner okay. as you know we're a little outside the box I'm a big caddy guy, and I think the caddies are underrated in what they do. And I view the caddy as the air traffic controller. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the player decides on what golf club they're going to hit. And I like the idea that the caddy gets one number, meaning if the number is 52 hole and it's 40 front and 12 back and there's three yards of wind and he thinks that the player needs to hit a, you know, whatever that number is, a 55 shot. I like the caddy knowing that number, and then I like the player deciding what type of shot they want to play in there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's on them together, but they got to work through that together. Um, I still, every time that I'm out, and that's one of our deals, is I think most people in doing what we do for a living watch a lot of golf on the, on the driving range. We like to watch a lot of golf on TV and like to watch a lot of golf when we're there. I still see club mistakes and win mistakes you yeah. know, throughout the course of the round. Not only from you know my guys, but from other players as well too. So it's still a strategy game. Yeah. And there and there with all the stats and all the ways to go about it, you know, we're, we're better at that than we were ten years ago too. Hence the scoring. All right. Follow up to that. How often does a PGA Tour player miss hit the center of the face? Hundred balls, round hundred shots in a tournament. How often is that ball coming off the center? Just just. A little bit, just a slight miss hit, because I know, because we know they're not clanking way on the toe, way on the heel. I mean, it's it, it's if it does, it's it's minimal. How how often do you think that happens? God, so different through the players. Like you know, I mean this respectful, but I've I don't know him really well, but I watched Tom Lehman play a lot of golf. You know, he said a lot of kind of thin, like top spinny hooks that end yeah. up 10, 10 feet from the hole, you know? Yeah. And there's guys I know that are just absolute flushers that they haven't played, had nearly the career he was. So right. I think it de- depends on the player and it depends on their motion. I mean, uh, again, too, without sounding pretentious or presumptuous, I'd like to say that was one of our fortes. I think we get the players in the right position to swing yeah. so it fits their body and their club goes up and clubs goes down and they can make their rhythm and make their groove and find center and there's a lot to that it's an easier game out of the middle of the club whether you're a 32 handicap a two handicap or a plus 12 handicap <laughs> amen to that amen to that what yeah. is what is patrick's miss i mean we're talking here a little bit now miss hits in the center of the face 
what what happens with Patrick when he's kind of goes haywire as far as maybe technique and ball flight? I haven't seen him compete really with haywire technique since he's, you know, been playing for a long, long time. I, I can count the really bad ball hitting days on one hand. And okay. they were more other factors. I think he knows his motion a lot. And I think he's, you know, we love that old Trevino thing, right? To have your listeners today look up Lee Trevino, right? 29 PGA Tour wins, 29 Champions Tour wins. You can't write it, right? I remember one time he came to our club and asking him, and he said, yeah, I won like 54 of the tournaments with my C swing and <laughs> three of them with my B swing and one with my A swing. And I think we strive to like do it perfect all the time, but it's more mm-hmm. about making the ball go from point A to point B, um, liking it to other sports like we've done through this whole conversation the wobbly touchdown pass is still a touchdown pass. Yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's look ahead here. You got three tournaments I know left here, uh, calendar year. You mentioned he's going to be flying overseas. You got the WGC in China. He's got Tigers tournament, um, the hero. But then also uh, he's going to be on Tigers team, the President's Cup. I, I would have to think that that is circled the President's Cup, and um, and a lot of excitement to to represent the country. Yeah, he's he's really thrilled about it. I think, you know, for the President's Cup or the Ryder Cup, I think it's just it's a testament to your body of work from you and your team at how hard you work in order to be one of the best players in the game. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he qualified for it, whatever he did, third or fourth, I think he's really, really proud of that. And good in that situation. He's good in the team situation. You know, we play a lot of team games at home that, you know, sometime when you're in town you'll have to come to my spot but when you come to our club and they're all playing a team game around there and they're all playing a partner's game around there so he's used to that and yeah um well he'll be re- he'll be really really effective fred's the vice captain and we spend a lot of time with fred fred lives really close to us yep. uh, here here where we live and so um we're we're, we're, we're psyched that he's going to be on that team and then by the way royal melbourne is you know it's top of the top of the shelf there it's really beautiful and a great spot to have that event so and he'll lastly he'll be really proud to you know be patriotic and represent uh the united states yeah it's gonna be exciting to uh to watch that in the the president's cup and 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 patrick really in on the team uh environment and then also hopefully in in the Ryder cup and for years to come i think um you know he you look at those statistics and you just look how solid a player he is he 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 could be a terrific um team player and then of course after that you know you you start to get into now the bulk of uh, of next season he'll be playing in Hawaii the tournament of champions and you know one of the emphasis uh, I know as we look ahead now in golf moving forward is this I think a bit of a reaction to slow play right I mean slow play has been something that has been out there on the PGA tour for a while and then Patrick you know has been one of those that has maybe been tagged to that and I'm curious is it something that you guys talk about it with Patrick's approach? Does he look at himself as someone who is a slow player or, and if he does, is he someone that is trying to speed it up um, for basically a lot of the response and the reaction that we're seeing out there on tour? Um, he or I wouldn't be one to listen to what everybody was saying about it. He was slow for a while. He's way faster, you know? Right. And uh, you watch him the last six months of the year. He's he's improved a lot and, um, you know, making his decisions quicker and, you know, 
the clubs fold quicker and mm -hmm. the pace of play thing is something that just didn't happen we were talking about it because it's the hot topic like you know it's just happened the last year but it's been going on for a long long time and i think he'll go and i think he'll go down as not being you know recognized as a slow player um i think he'll he'll be more definitive as he goes and i'm proud of that and like anything that we would do to make improvements we would make suggestions and let him figure out what works for him. And he's right. done a really nice job. I'm proud of him for the last six months. It seems like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, like as you coach this world-class player and, and Patrick and, and so many others, but you know, the one of the things I, I, I've always liked about listening to you talk, it, it's like you, you give your players context and you give your players uh, these recommendations, but then you really just kind of let them self-discover and, and how it works for them. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, we I think there's two there's two kind of modems that we use all the time. If you're not 100% sure about what you're going to say, that's going to effectively help them. Don't say it, you know. And I think we've got better at that as we've got um I I hate using the word older, but definitely wiser. Yeah. And so so that's the big one. And then the second thing, you don't tell anybody to do anything, you know. Mm. Our job is, you know, there's laws, principles and preferences and the laws aren't changing and the principles are the way you decide you're going to roll it out and the preferences is how you're going to give it to them. And my job is to hand it to them in the right preference. And, you know, very, very young in my career, you know, I remember driving to the golf course at, with Craig Barlow and he had uh, tied the course record at Cypress Point with uh, some guy named Ben Hogan and some other guys there. And there was a picture of, Cypress Point on this golf magazine. I saw it in my room. I grabbed it as we sat in the car on the way to the course. I remember telling him and saying, you know, hey, look, here's a picture of Cypress. And then he talked the whole way to the golf course about <laughs> Cypress. And then that that day went out, played in the LA Open, finished third, played lovely. And, you know, when we were having a beer later that night, he said, you know, that was a good thing about Cypress this morning where when I first imagined you doing this, you would fly in a helicopter and fix somebody's left wrist position at the top of the backswing. That's not really going on. You know, <laughs> you're trying to, you're trying to subtly let your players know what they need to do and let them take it for themselves. And that's the way that people learn the best. I believe mm. that a hundred percent. Yeah. I love that. I've always, you know, I've loved that about your teaching and listening to you talk and the way you handle your players. And, and I want to transition and I want to thank of, you. Yeah. I want to talk about, um, one more topic here with with Patrick, and that's his his short game. I, and, and from my perspective, an area that has just kind of steadily uh, improved as well. What's it like to have a front row seat to a world class short game player and watching them just go about their craft with the wedge in their hand? Man, I mean, there's been so much input on that, you know, and we've watched so much. Like I said, we play with Fred. He's very close with Jordan, who's lovely with that club. He's close with JT, who has some beautiful wedge game, you know. John Cook pitches the ball nicely, you know. John Mallinger can flop the ball with the best of them. So he's had a lot of input, and we've tried to uh, inspire him to listen to that impact. But more importantly, his short game the last couple of years is his. Mm. Like nobody's short game technique looks the same, you know, and if you got interesting, that's one, that's one thing that I should just suggest with coaches, you know, like everybody says, well, we got to pitch it like Seve. Well, nobody looks like Seve, you know, Yeah. or, you know, you got to pitch it like Steve Stricker. Well, nobody looks like Stricker. So there's a lot going on with touch and hands and feel and looks and shots. And, you know, you got to have three or four or five of them. You got to have a, 
a stock one that you can pitch the ball from any place. You got to have a dirty one that you can play out of bad lies. You got to have a flopper and you got to have a spinner and you got to know how to do that. And there's a lot of subtleties in that and you can only do it by practicing and you can only do it by doing it underneath the gun. And if you don't do it, you're not going to play well. And, um, I probably, when I was younger, I neglected that with my students more Mm. so than now. I would say now that we're on generation four of young players, we're making them pitch and chip the ball and learn that. And it should be their own. And when you watch Patrick do that, it looks like his own deal. It's like, like you're watching, you know, him shoot his own shot and it's pretty cool. What's and the, he's got, he's got a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. He has gotten a lot better. And it, it is, it's fun to watch him, you know, with the wedge, when you have that well-rounded of a player like Patrick is who can hit it a long ways off the tee, you know, sometimes a short game can get lost. Right. But you know, for me, when I watch Patrick, I, I see a very primed uh, and polished short game player and certainly one of the best on the PGA tour. I got to ask you what, he can hit all the shots. I know this, but what what's the one that when you're when when he has it, you know he's licking his chops. I mean, what what's the one that is just like he is gold with this particular technique or shot? Um, can I give you two answers? Okay. When he won at all, um, or just finished second at Vegas, I love him on the tee with the driver, knowing he has to hit a big tee shot. Cause I know he's got a bunch of different ways to do that. And then the putt that he had uh, at Memorial turned like an eight footer well outside the right edge breaking on a really fast green. And we've watched him hit that putt, you know, 2 million times. And I love the way he looks over at that. He's in that forever and it's syrupy and the ball comes off hard, but slow, if that makes sense. And uh, so I love, I love sitting at Memorial. Normally when one of your guys is going to win a tournament, I'll try to lock myself in a room and hide my phone because everybody's texting you and just watch. And a lot of times not listen to the announcers because they can make it worse. So I like to sit there. Well, at Memorial, I just laughed the whole back nine. And when he had that putt, uh, you know, he got it up and down the bunker to win by two, I think over Adam and, you know, Mr. Nicholas standing on the side when he had that putt, I was just cracking up. I'm going, he's going to bury this thing, you know. And sure <laughs> enough, he buried it. It was, really, it was really, really fun. Talk to me about this pretty short game shot. I love these, I love these names that you have for, you know, these, these different types of shots. The, you know, the stock, the spinner. But what, what's, dir- what's the dirty one? G- g- give me a little well, insight on how, how to hit that dirty short game shot. The one out of the tough lie. Well, you know that. I mean, you're you're a Florida guy. I'm a California guy. And, um, you know, we we grew up kind of playing more out of a different type of rough or playing out of Kukui or playing out of Poana. But until you start traveling around the country and get into Bermuda and Bermuda can get dirty, it can get tangly. You know, two inches of Bermuda rough is way worse than any other rough. Right. Right. So that when that ball goes to the bottom of that Bermuda, you know, you got to learn how to use the grass as your friend and, um you got to learn that, you know, how it comes out of there and you, you can't be too steep with the way it comes out of there. And you got to learn how to, you got to, we call it a dirty one when it gets in a dirty lie and you're able to use all the circumstances that make it a dirty lie and then allow the energy of the ball to come out the right way. And that's really what short game is, right? It's energy. Mm-hmm. It would sit the, the way I would liken it to it is that you're standing, you know, on the back of your car and you're trying to roll a ball down, you know, over the roof and try to stop it before the hood ornament. And, um, you got to do that with energy. And a lot of times out of Bermuda, you know, especially the fast greens, if you're short-sighted, you got to learn how to do that the right way. What's the, 
final question on the on the short game here. What what's the 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 stock technique for for Patrick? I know that like he, he I know he can go low, he can go medium, he can go high, he can hit all the shots clearly. But what's the what's the one that is kind of the default that you feel like maybe the technique that I mean he is just absolutely a plus with? Is it the kind of the medium spinner or is it a bit higher, lower? How would you describe that? Um. I think he's good with all of them. I think yeah. it's all coming out. I think it's all coming out of the same thing. And I think when you start to see somebody really complete, like you could stand behind him watching him practice. And I'm maybe the only one that knows he's going to hit a draw when he's sitting his full shots. And the same thing when you're watching him hit his short game shots, he's already decided where he needs to land the ball, what type of spin that he wants to have it on it, what type of, you know, uh, height and trajectory that he wants with it. And it looks like it comes out of the same place. So mm-hmm. I think the may that you, the more that you can make look somebody looks symmetric in that area, the better that they are. And you know I probably learned that from hearing about Hogan and then stalking Faldo in the heyday and watching Faldo hit a five irons with a one yard fade, you know, one yard draw and a perfectly straight one that looks like they came out of the same delivery package. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like every you know spoke in the wheel is is accounted for with uh, with Patrick, and he just continues to refine. He just continues to get better. And and just listening to you talk, I mean, you can just hear the confirmation and that this is a very complete player. He has all of the skills with with all fourteen clubs. He's long. He's a good iron player. He's got all the shots around the green, and uh, he's a very confident putter. And I uh, congratulate you guys on uh, all your success and. Really appreciate your time, Jamie. I know you're a very busy man teaching not only your professionals, but I know you have a lot of uh, very competent am- amateur players as well. So wish you the best of luck here in the uh, in the fall winter uh, run here, but in particularly when it starts back up next year again. Travis, thanks a lot. I uh, appreciate your gracious comments about Patrick and uh, know that we're working really diligently and his folks are really straight and he continues to get better and keep doing all the good things that you do. And let's keep making making people better at this beautiful game. How about a, uh, how about a major championship in 2020? That uh, does not sound bad for anybody and certainly for him. Yeah, that doesn't sound bad, uh, bad at all. Okay. All right, Jamie Mulligan, thank you so much for your time. We'll, we'll do it again soon. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to episode number one of The Stripe Show with top coach Jamie Mulligan on coaching the number six ranked player in the world, Patrick Cantlay. Each one of our guests receives the new Aeropex headphones from Aftershocks. We'll see you next time very soon. Episode two of The Stripe Show.